0: In this pilot episode of the new Practical Guidance Labor and Employment podcast, we speak with Mint's partner, Jennifer Rubin. Jen serves on the firm's policy committee and co-leads the firm's ESG practice group. I spoke with Jen recently about how companies are attempting to recruit and retain employees in the current employment landscape. I'm your host, Kevin Hilton. I'm an attorney with LexisNexis. To learn more about LexisNexis Practical Guidance Research Solutions, visit Lexis.com. Lexis's Practical Guidance gives you insights to support what you do. Jen, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I know you're a partner within the ESG group at Mintz. You're also a Lexis author for Lexis Practical Guidance. For the listeners out there interested in these issues... You should visit Practical Guidance and check out some of her articles on the topic. So Jen, let's just start out by telling the listeners a little bit about what you do in your practice.
1: Sure, I am a bicoastal employment lawyer. I'm I'm based primarily in San Diego, um, but practiced in in New York for 25 years before I headed out to the um, uh, West Coast, and um, my practice is primarily uh, divided between trial work uh, relating to employment claims, uh, as well as compliance work. Um, I advise boards, I advise executives, I advise companies on how to, uh, how to do their best to comply with the myriad of uh, employment laws. And of late, um, the, and in the past couple of years, we have launched an ESG practice group, which I chair. Um, and that has come about primarily um, because of the pandemic and, and different uh, developments that have kind of driven some of the governance issues that that we're seeing, you know at the um, uh, corporate board level. So that that's a nutshell of of what I do and and who I am.
0: I read a fascinating article you wrote recently on in-house counsel's role in bridging what you call the generation We gap. And um, I wonder if you just start by telling me a little bit about what what is the we
1: gap? Sure. Um, And and just in the interest of full disclosure, one of the reasons that this came up is that I have four children um, who are all millennials. And um, I find it endlessly fascinating to hear them uh, talking about work, career, life, meaning, you know, all the things that that we find so fascinating um, uh, about the human experience. Um, So, so, Those conversations, uh, uh, together with what I was uh, finding that my clients are experiencing in the workplace, led me to to really sit down and think about how some of these issues are, are driving um, uh, legal policy and practice in the workplace. And, and a lot of it, uh, requires kind of taking a step back and, and looking at, you know, what are, what are people demanding in the workplace? So the, this, um, the, the week app, I think relates to what, what I call the intergenerational rift in, in the workplace. Um, there's a new generation of employee, um, whether it be lawyers or, or, or others who, who are coming to the workplace, who are thinking about, uh, work differently than, than maybe we think about work. I've been practicing for, for 32 years. So I've been doing this for a long time. Um, and, and my viewpoint uh, probably differ uh, greatly from, from their viewpoints. Um, you know, I, I grew up as a lawyer in a place where, where you go to the office and you sit at the desk, you go to the courtroom and you, you stand in front of a judge and the new generation of employee is uh, practicing in front of a computer um, with, with a webcam uh, and a headset. And and that is be, becoming perfectly natural to them. So I, I think that it it, it requires uh, taking a step back and thinking about how different generations are approaching our experience as as lawyers and employees, and then uh, trying to manage those issues in a way that's beneficial uh, to, to the workplace. And and I say beneficial because. I learn a lot from uh, the more junior lawyers who who, who work with me. Um, I, I find their their wisdom helpful, and I am very appreciative of it. I, I think sometimes, as a more senior lawyer, or more senior lawyers, tend to um, take the position that we we reject. <laughs> What the the different generation has to say, uh, be, because we view ourselves as, as as being very smart, but I think the truly smart ones are the ones who take a step back and and um, give a lot of credence to to some of these issues um, that that they're raising, uh, whether it's coming into the office, working virtually, what does it mean to collaborate? Um, What what does it mean to uh, be collegial um, in the virtual environment? I mean, a lot of these things are are difficult and, and we all need to learn them. So I think the generation we gap comes from approaching them these issues in 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 different ways.
0: Fascinating, and it's wonderful that you had uh, you have in in-house, uh, <laughs> in house <your first> consultants. <laughs> unpaid. <day. laughs> yeah, unpaid. <laughs> um, well, I mean you paid for Oh, uh,
1: yes, <laughs> that, that is true.
0: <laughs> um, is there are there specific industries where you're seeing this? I guess this this week app and this shift um, in particular, or is it across the board? Oh, oh
1: yeah oh it's it's absolutely across the board and and i think you know when people think well it's just it's confined to technology right they, they might think or um or or maybe some of the more conservative uh, workplaces you know the financial sector banking for example is traditionally thought of as a, a fairly conservative workplace it, it's all it's all um industries and and um everybody needs to get ready for this and and everybody needs to really think about this within the structure of what their own missions are, right? I mean, it, it, every company has a different mission, a different purpose, whether it's producing a product or delivering a service or whatever it may be, but, but, it's, but it's all of them.
0: And, and your article explores how a corporate counsel needs to look at the shifting landscape. You mentioned in your article that the, the work has, has seen more like an experiment rather than a long-term proposition, which yes is fascinating. It, it, yes. For me, I had a conversation with my wife after I read the, your article, because I was like, I, I also, having largely worked within one uh, area myself and seeing my mom work as a teacher for 30-some years, you know, mm-hmm. I'm. it's a completely foreign concept. Could you just elaborate a little bit about the outlook that your kids, maybe, <laughs> and others yes. are, you're seeing...
1: Right, not, not just, just my millennial children, but, but you know, some of the, the folks that you know, we're, we're trying to recruit. And by the way, retain. Um, we, retention is, is uh, equally, if not even more, significant to, to employers. So I, I think, and again, this is anecdotal and definitely not scientific, but um, I, I think part of this comes from a, a feeling that if somebody is not achieving their career goals immediately, right? I, and I mean immediately within within a couple of months, that there's much more of a willingness to simply walk away from, from a job. Um, you know, you hear about the TikTok videos, the TikTok quits, right, and and, and how um, people are, are amusing themselves by, by watching them. But I, I really think that this is happening out there where people feel that, um, look, I, I, I arrived at this job and it, it wasn't what it, it you know was described to me. And, and I don't feel it fits with my kind of mission. Um, I don't like their views on, f- for example, maybe some social justice issues, which, which is becoming very significant as the employee stakeholders, um, what these companies are are doing and what they're saying in the marketplace. And maybe they're finding that that's not consistent with their own uh, purpose. So I think that there's a, a willingness to simply walk away. And obviously, You know, as the the job landscape, you know, it's so it's a it's a a a buyer's market, right? They 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 can take their skills anywhere, and particularly uh, right now in the in the legal marketplace, I think there's even more of a willingness to walk away if something doesn't fit um, uh, immediately within within the worldview. Without, you know, when I uh, started work uh, uh, so many years ago, you know, the thinking was, well, you you need to put in your time and, and you need to put in the effort and, and you need to put in the sweat, right? And 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 then it's going to yield results. And I think that there's a, an impatience now with those kind of, I hate to call them old school because I hate those terms, but I really do think that there's an impatience with, with the thinking that, well, you're going to have to kind of slog away for years, you know, before you're going to see a fruition of what your particular goals are. So, I think that's uh really going on in the marketplace. I wish I knew how to solve it, right? <laughs> if I did, you know, it, it would right. be gold. And I, and I think I, I do think that one of the solutions, and I, I think this is where in-house counsel can play a very significant role. You know, people want to know what the mission and what the purpose is of the organization and whether that coincides with what their purpose is, right? And so being able to articulate that um and, and taking a step back in um, and, and everything you do whether it's in interviewing uh, somebody and asking them well what are your goals and, and what's important to you and and how do you want to develop um, as a practitioner and and how can I help that happen I mean I, I, I when I interviewed you know in, in years past I me mean, I've been at Mintz for 22 years it's been a really long time since I've interviewed for a job but you know I don't remember anybody asking me those those questions and, and I never felt empowered to, to ask those questions so I think that that the reality is, those issues are becoming very important, and the employers who are able to articulate really uh, solid answers to those questions are the, the ones who's going to win in this game.
0: I mean, it's it's, it's hopeful in a way that uh, that there's a that there are entire generations of of, of people who are coming up who actually have, um, I guess, aspirations that yes. the places that they work with will have aspirations to do good or to ha- or to to have a mission. Other than make money, yes. In many cases, it probably is make money. So it's an interesting uh, thing for, I guess, a corporation to try to navigate at this right.
1: point. Right, and 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 how do you square it, right? Yeah. Because I if like you're it. operating a for-profit <laughs> organization and you're supposed to be operating that organization for the benefit of the shareholders, who who presumably want to make money, right, and want to see their investment grow, you know, how do you square that with your employees, stakeholders, who who want the company to be mission driven and and to, you know, want the company, and this is where the ESG part comes in, which is really interesting, you know, we want you to be climate sensitive, um, we, we want you to uh, be, be social justice focused. Um, and, and so how do you make all those things work, uh, where you're going to make everybody happy. And I, and I think, you know, unfortunately not everybody can be made happy, you know, in, in those circumstances. And and this is where, of course, the nonprofit sector really has a leg up, right? Because nonprofits live for their missions and they articulate right. those missions. And, and, and presumably and hopefully they don't divert from them. Right. And so they don't have the uh, shareholder who, who's who's driving the organization to do X, Y and Z in order to achieve a certain you know, financial result. So so it's really going to be interesting to see the rise um, uh, of the nonprofit in terms of being able to tap into an amazing amount of talent out there that that this really appeals to.
0: So, what are you hearing from your corporate clients and firms about their experiences as they try to sign attorneys to their staff?
1: I know my own client, my corporate clients, who are having who are struggling. You know, trying to um, uh, bring uh, lawyers into their own organizations, and and of course, uh, you know, private firms obviously are 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 struggling. You know, they're they're competing for talent, and the talent is being very discerning, um, and again, discerning about. Um, I want to go to a firm that aligns with kind of my worldview and with my professional goals. And by the way, those professional goals can be very disparate, right? Um, so some, some lawyers coming out of law school may say, I don't, I don't want to go down the, the traditional route of being an associate and, and, and becoming a partner and then being part of a law firm. Um, versus, you know, I want to learn some skills. I want to learn how to be a lawyer, and who's going to teach me how to be a lawyer, right? And and who's going to teach it in the way that I want to be taught? You know, that that's that's the other right. you know issue, um, and and that's kind of part of this uh, generation we gap, which is kind of the lawyers taking a step back and and trying to figure out, well, how do I mentor? How do I teach if, if the person at the other end doesn't want to be in the office with me and, and actually uh, believes that they don't need to be in the office with me? And how do I embrace that? Um, And again, I wish I, I could tell everybody, well, here's the magic (laughs) answers to those questions. I, I I don't know um, because we're all kind of trying to figure it out, you know, as we move along, you know, so.
0: Are you starting to see clients come to you and talk through how, how they, Need to shift their their policies to kind of collaborate with you on that.
1: Yes, but but I think some of those conversations are a little broader. So, for example, talking about unique benefits, right? That 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 can be provided to, to kind of this new generation, and so it's a little more of the some of the practical discussions about you know, what are the things that we can offer that will make us more attractive and, and, and asking me what I'm seeing in the marketplace, because obviously I'm in a unique position, you know, our, our um, uh, clientele, you know, at at Mintz is uh, we, we, we operate very nationally and, and across industries. And so I do, I'm very fortunate in that I have a very diverse uh, clientele. And, and so um, I, I get a lot of, um, ideas <laughs> from speaking to my clients, you know, when they're sharing with me, you know, this is what we're thinking of doing. Can we do this? Can we do that? Can you help me draft a policy? And so it gives me kind of a bird's eye view into what's going on out there in the industry. And then that way I can share, um, obviously, without um, violating any client confidences, but very generally, you know, ideas on on things, you know, um, I, I'll just give you a couple that, that I yeah. found to be very interesting. So Paid volunteerism is becoming very popular, and and in part because it's 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 uh, telling employees we want you to go out and follow your passions, right? In 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 different areas, we're not going to tell you, you know, that this is what the company is telling you to do. For example, on on um, election day, we're not going to tell you to go and man the polls, right? We're going to tell you that we're going to pay you to take a day off and do what you feel you're passionate about to make. You know, a, a free and fair electoral process. And, and it's not just, um, you know, on election day, there's a lot of other type of volunteering um, that people are passionate about different um, areas of their lives that, that they want to focus on. And so that's becoming very popular. Another um, uh, policy that actually we launched here at Mintz, which we're very proud of, is compassionate leave. Um, compassionate leave is provided to women, for example, who have suffered a miscarriage, and for uh, men um, who are supporting uh, a partner who may have suffered a miscarriage, which is something that is, that is really overlooked. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily fall into the concept of bereavement leave, and, and bereavement leave may not be enough um, under circumstances where somebody suffers a pregnancy loss, and it's so right. profound in their life. Um, so we are Thrilled to, to offer something like that where, where we, we're, we're addressing the human side of employment. So right. that's another example of something that, that we're, very, um, we're very proud of here.
0: Jen, thanks so much again for all your time and the insight you've provided today. To learn more about Jen's practice at Mintz, visit the firm's website at Mintz.com. And remember to visit Practical Guidance to see some of the valuable articles Jen penned for Lex's research solutions. Thank you all for listening to the pilot episode of Practical Guidance Labor and Employment podcast series. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as we will be releasing monthly episodes focusing on L&E going forward. And remember, no matter your practice area, if you need practical guidance on how to proceed in your work, check out Lexis Practical Guidance Research Solution, available now through Lexis. For more information, visit Lexis.com. Thanks, and be well.